you know, school fight songs, and I like state songs, and, uh, you know, I kind of get into them. I used to be involved in athletics. In fact, uh, how many Tennessee fans do we have here tonight? I know we've got a few. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I may be in trouble in just the next few minutes. But, uh, yeah, that's why we have these orange prayer cards. But, uh, you know, you can tell whether a team's going to win or lose by their fight song. I mean, it was obvious what was going to happen to Tennessee back in the Cotton Bowl, wasn't it? Uh, how could a team that has these words in their fight song survive? Listen to this. Corn won't grow at all on Rocky Top. Dirt's too rocky by far. That's why all the folks on Rocky Top get their corn from a jar. Now, does that make you want to play football? You know, go out and block and, and tackle and knock somebody out? You know, I don't think so. Now, listen to this. I've had years of crimped up city life trapped like a duck in a pen. All I know it's a, a pity life. Can't be simple again. Rocky Top. Well, sorry, Big Orange, but uh, you, you had no chance when you came up against the purple pride of Kansas State, which happens to be my alma mater. You had no chance whatsoever. Now, can you imagine, here they come out of one end in orange and uh, singing that song about ducks in a pen. And here we come out, we're known as Wildcats. And I, I remember the fight song because every time they played that, my, the chills just go up my spine before we go out to play. I played basketball. Listen to the words. Fight, you K-State Wildcats. Wildcats, eh? For alma mater, fight. Glory in the combat. For the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors. We're going to always be fighting, always fighting for a wildcat victory. Now, when, when the purple and the orange met with those words, you were doomed. I, I'm sorry. You, you, were, you were just doomed. There was just no chance. There was no opportunity at all. Now, Rick Moore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rick. Rick took me to the pyramid last year, and Memphis State rocked K-State in basketball, and Tom Jordan took me to Ole Miss, and we got beat there in basketball, but football was another. Well, I want to slide to another song called State Songs. And how many of you know what the, the state song is for Georgia, the state of Georgia? Anybody know what the state song is? No? Georgia, Georgia, Georgia on my mind. I don't sing like Ray Charles, of course, but that's the state song, Georgia on my mind. I don't know why you'd want to have Georgia on your mind, but that's, that's perfectly okay. You can tell a lot of, about a person by what's on their mind, and that's where I'm going. You guys and gals remember the first girlfriend, the first boyfriend you had? You liked them, and you wrote notes, and you put them in the lockers, and, and then maybe as you got into high school, they... Back in the Elvis days, you'd wear the ring around their neck. The girls would wear the ring. What was on your mind? Girls, boys. So the socialite, or what we call an otter, the next party is on their mind. For the leader, or the choleric, the next deal is on their mind. That's what they're thinking about. For the businessman, it's the marketplace. I was involved in basketball for years. Basketball was on my mind a lot of the time. Here's the obvious question. Who or what is on your mind? Who or what is on your mind? And the follow-up question is, what was on Jesus' mind? What stayed on his mind as we read, as we search the Scriptures? 
I think if you think about it, it won't take long to realize that people, people were on the mind of Jesus Christ. Many other things too. But people, simply people, would be his theme song. He had people on his mind. And that's what we're talking about tonight under the climate of evangelism. People matter to God. People. God is interested in people. Lost people, found people, rich people, poor people, any kind of people. Search the scriptures. He dealt with all of them. He had a great preoccupation occupation with people. He cared about people. And he moved from being a disciple uh, by calling his disciples to be fishermen to telling them to be fishers of men. He was interested in people. In their apprenticeship, he taught them how to deal with people. Um, they try to change values on him. They try to get him interested in something else. Jesus would bring them back to people because he wanted to redirect them. He wanted to empower them to deal with people. And he modeled being interested in people. Think of the crucifixion. What did he say? Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. Uh, to the disciple John, he said, take care of my mother. People interested in his mother. Take care of my mom. To the thief on the cross, today you can be with me in paradise. People. The Great Commission. What's it about? People. Go ye. Go after the people. Start in Jerusalem, but move out and get the people. Go find the people. People was on his mind. So with that, let's try to focus why or what the ex explanation is for why people was on his mind. And I want to give you a couple, three reasons and, and talk about each one of those reasons. Why? people were on the mind of Jesus. Number one, he knew the Father's heart better than anyone else. Jesus knew the Father's heart. He knew what, how it beat. And when the Pharisees attacked Jesus for placing value on hell-bound pagans, what did Jesus do? He teaches them three parables. Bang, bang, bang. I think... Dr. Young mentioned this not long ago in one of his messages. The only place in scriptures where he gets three successive parables. When he deals with the lost sheep, when he deals with the lost coin, and when he deals with the lost son. And what's the message? People. You have people who are lost, go find them. You have people who need help, go find these people. You see, Jesus knew the Father's heart. And Jesus taught radical inclusivity. Everybody's included. Everyone is included. No one is excluded. Everybody's in. Everyone has an opportunity. And I know, you know, many, many people understand the doctrine of election. And I'm not debating or going against election. But you have Jesus who knew the Father's heart and knew that he wanted to include everyone. That there is hope and there is grace for all. I look at 1510 and... And I see uh, Luke 15, verse 10. It says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one, over one sinner who repents. That's what happens in heaven. A party. When one sinner comes to Christ. You see, Jesus knew the Father's heart. And it was all about people. Loving people. 
The second thing that Jesus knew was, and knew this better than anyone else, is he understood the eternal realities of life. He understood eternity is out there. He understood the eternal realities. He knew that our times and our days are numbered. Um, he knew that everything gets left behind except people and the Word. That's the only thing we take off this planet, is people and the Word of God. Um, so he'd say, what does it profit a man? Uh, think about these things. Give it some thought. Think it through. Be smart. There is a resurrection of, of people who go to heaven or, or hell. Study your scriptures. There is a resurrection in the future. We are to lay up treasure treasures in heaven. Let me ask you, what do you think that is represented by that treasure? People. That's the treasures that we're to lay up in heaven. Simply people. So when you look at Jesus' life, you see a sense of urgency. He was about doing the Father's business. He knew the Father's heart. And better than anyone else, he knew the eternal realities that we all face. And he would send his disciples out, remember, as sheep to the wolves, telling them it's not going to be easy. It will, will be difficult. It is going to be risky. But the rewards are out of this world. People matter to God. People matter to Jesus. The third thing that Jesus saw, better than anyone else, was the potential in people. Jesus Christ could see the potential in people. Now, some people can see potential in products. Who would have thought that Sam Walton would see the enterprise of what he did with Walmart and become a billion-dollar business? You know that he has, what, three or four heirs who are all billionaires? And he started out with a vision about a product and providing a service to people. Um, I spent 18 years in athletics, specifically basketball, but we were always looking for potential. And one of the great things about sports is to see some gangly, 6'3 or 6'4 high school boy that by, that is a sophomore, but by the time he's a senior, be a great player. You see that kind of thing. You see potential in people. Jesus could see it in people too. And he could look at, at people and he could see what God could do with the Holy Spirit cutting loose within those individuals' lives. He saw the potential that the people had. So think of examples Zacchaeus, what they call him, a cheat, tax, uh, tax fraud, tax collector. He became a philanthropist for Jesus Christ. You look at Peter, denier, flop, ran the other way, coward, and he became the church founder, or certainly a church founder. You look at the lady of the evening, and what did she become? A worshiper. Jesus looked at people differently. He could see them. And he could see past the dirt. He could see how people would respond to him. And he had irrepressible optimism. He knew the fallen could be restored. How many of you have read, read the book uh, On a Hill uh, Too Far Away? Okay. If you haven't, you need to, to read it. John Fisher is the writer. But I, I, John uh, talks about how the fallen can be restored, and uh, he, he talked about this conference that he did up in, back east somewhere. And he had uh, two groups of people there. He had 
recovering alcoholics who were going through a program there that had a 80-some percent uh, recovery rate. And uh, people coming in not being Christians who went out being Christians. Uh, God just got all over them. And he was up to conduct a, a meeting with them. And there also was a group of Christians from a, a local church up there. And uh, he, was, he was at the end doing a concert. He was also a, a, a worship leader. And he said that the difference between the two groups was like night and day. He said, there you had those recovered alcoholics that were bellering out with all their heart and soul the songs of Jesus saves and how he had come to save them. And I think he used, I think he mentions a Chris Christopherson song. I don't know his music that well. But it's, uh, Lord, please help me, Jesus. I know what I am. You heard that song. He said he would do that all the time. And at the, at the chorus, he'd say, Beller it out, sinners. And he said those guys would just, as one, they would just beller it out. We know who we are. We're sinners saved by your grace. And he said he looked at the other group of church people. And he said it was almost like we're Christians who occasionally sin. You know? We're pretty good people. We're Christians, but occasionally we blow it. But we're not too bad. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus reaches down and sees the potential in people better than anyone else. And he sees it in you. And he sees it in those people that you come in contact with. But let's turn the corner from those three points and look at them from a different direction. Because there's a fundamental directive to all Christians in Romans 8.29 that I'd like to apply to those three points now. There is a fundamental directive for all of us who are Christians. And in Romans 8.29, I think you know it. It reminds us, and we hear it at Grace a lot, one of our goals is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. The fundamental direction of a Christian. He is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you as a Christian. You are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So with that in mind, what do we have to do? Well, we have to know the Father's heart. Jesus knew it. If we're to be conformed to His image, if Christ lives in us, then it behooves us. We need to know the Father's heart too. And let me remind you, it's wide open. It's inclusive. It's radically inclusive. Don't care what you do. Don't care where you live. Don't care what college you went to. God wants you to be inclusive. And He wants your arms wide open. And I question you tonight, are they? I question myself. Are my arms inclusive? I'll tell you why that's important. Let me give you a fact from one of the latest surveys in regards to evangelism. Here's a statement that just shocks me and just blows me away. But think about it and see if this is not what goes on in, in our Christian culture today. Here's the survey statement. The longer a person walks with God, the fewer evangelistic invitations go out from them to lost people. Bam! Does that not hit us right between the eyes? Let me read it again. Later, well, a very late survey states evangelistically that the longer a person walks with God, the longer he or she is a Christian, the fewer, the less evangelistic invitations go out from them 
to lost people. Is that your story? Is that my story? Think about it. When is the last time that you shared the gospel with another person, be he or her friend or somebody that you didn't even know? When is the last time? Fewer invitations to lost people the longer I'm a Christian. I hope that's not the case for you, but I'm, I think that goes across our culture. You know what the Scripture teaches? Exactly the opposite. That as a Christ follower, we should be sharing every opportunity we have. Well, I don't know about you, but when I came to Christ, I didn't know a lot. I don't know a lot today, but I, I really knew not much when I first came to Christ. I was 19 when I became a Christian back in Kansas. And I didn't know much. But I knew a little bit. And I think what I realized that, that night, back in August, when I came to Christ, and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, also came to Christ that same evening, the thing that I knew was that my sin had been forgiven. That I was a new person in Christ. That God had indeed saved me. By His grace, I came to learn later. But I knew what forgiveness was all about. So you see, at that time, my worship, because I didn't know very much, was very narrow in a vertical way in my, my relationship to God. But then I started learning and reading, and I learned doctrines, and I learned other things, regeneration and justification, spiritual gifts and prayers, all the things, the good things that we need to learn. We certainly need to know doctrine. We certainly need to know theology. And I learned those things. And my arms in worship to God just opened up more. Didn't yours? As you, as you heard these things and you became amazed at, at, at who God is, your arms just opened up wider in worship to Him. That should be the case. But the same thing should occur to people. You've got your arms wide open to God as you learn more about Him. But also, your arms should be wider and broader in love toward people. And that's where I have a problem. I don't know that I used to. I don't know, where, I don't know when it started. I don't know when it started. I guess I just kind of like a, a slow leak. It just began happening. And maybe it's happened to you. But that's not the way God intends it. You know, we ought to have wide open arms toward Him in worship. And I love to worship here as many of you do. And I think we do a good job. But we also should have wide open arms to our fellow men and women. We should love those people. Uh, I like to play golf. And, and where I play... Uh, there are a lot of Hispanics who are working on the golf course. And uh, I see them, and, and I, I try to communicate with them, and right off, I'll, I'll, they're in Spanish, and I don't know Spanish. If I could do it all over again, I'd, 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 I'd learn Spanish. I'd learn Spanish. Somebody says, you're not too old to learn it now. Well, I don't know. But I'd learn Spanish. Look at the opportunities that we, we would have for evangelism. But one of them just kept coming up to me. He'd ride in a tractor as I'd be playing golf and he'd throw me a couple golf balls and smile. And he must have given me about 10 or 11 golf balls and I finally said, 
English? Little. Little. Little bit. About 20%. So I found out his name was Rayal. And he's from around Acapulco. And he's going back to uh, uh, Acapulco uh, in December. He's staying four or five months, and he's going to bring his family back. But he just, he loves me. He loved me before I loved him. He was supplying me with golf balls. Bill, what do you think of that? Man, what a deal that is. Guys handing me golf balls as I, as I play rounds of golf. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, he's, he's on my list, my list to share Jesus with. And as I, as I go around the course, I look for it. And I continue the dialogue just a, a little bit more to him. But you know, our, our, our last day that God has us here on earth, so to speak, we ought to be wide open toward people sharing the gospel with anybody, a stranger, uh, because we should love them that much. Well, I guess it's confession time. I hinted at it just a minute ago. But I think you all know who should be the most radically inclusive people in the Christian culture today. You know who those people are. You're looking at one. Me. I do this full time. You pay me. God blesses you. And I'm working for God, not you. But you, as you tithe, you provide my way of living. I'm full-time in the ministry. And I should be the most radically inclusive man in here tonight. And one of them in your church. Um, but you know what I found in, in, in a lot of our lives, those who are in the ministry or in full-time Christian work, we become very cynical. But God will save them. Somebody else take care of them. Yeah, and the scripture says train the people and let them do the work of the ministry. That's true. We are to train others to do the work of the ministry. We have a great volunteer uh, staff here at Gracie Van. But I'm talking about me. You know, yeah, I share from time to time. I'll go to Guatemala in August and I'll share a bunch of times. I went to Cuba last year and Brazil and I shared a bunch of times. I had a few other opportunities here while I was at Grace, but... How inclusive and how radical am I? I believe that this will be the last place that I'll minister. I believe that. You know, God can change things. But you know the best thing you could say about me after I'm gone? This is what I would desire. Uh, maybe you can hold me to accountability to it. Here's the statement that I wish you could, could say when I'm gone. I wish I loved people the way Jeff loved people. Don't do it now. I ain't there. I'm not there. But I wish that you could say that about me because God certainly wants that, desires that from me, and he also demands it from you. The second thing that we need to be involved in as people in, in regards to those three points is the longer we walk with God, we should be aware of the impending eternal realities too, just as Jesus was. We should be aware that the, the clock is ticking. You know why the three reasons people leave the church? A church. A church. The body of Christ. You know why the three reasons, the three top reasons that people leave a church today? 
Well, one, obviously, is transfer. People have their jobs, transfer them to another location. Uh, the second one is the influence of children. I think all of us want our children to be in church. And sometimes children will say, well, I, I want to go to this church or I want to be in this youth group. And that becomes an influence. I, I think that's legitimate. But you know the third reason? People die. People die. And that ends their affiliation with the church too. We've got to be aware of the eternal realities and not be so absorbed with our lives that we forget that people are dying without Christ every minute, every hour, and yes, every second of the day. People are dying without Jesus Christ. And what am I, what are you doing about it? We're trying to build a climate of evangelism that can help correct that. Where we're talking, yeah, about the things that are important to us, and yeah, about our families and about our friends, and yeah, about things that are happening in the church, but I want to talk to you about the fact that God gave me an opportunity to share with such and such person last week. There's a heaven, there's a hell. It's not a game that we're playing. We've got to stay on mission. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit to build a sense of urgency within us. And then we've got to go for it. We've got to start opening our eyes to the opportunities that are out there. Because they're out there and we miss it day after day after day. Yours truly included. Now, I've already shared with you, confessional time, that I need to get better in loving people. Y'all heard that, didn't you? I confess that. I want to share you about a victory tonight and an illustration in that victory before I share with you my last point. September, two years ago, I got a call from a man. I'll tell you his first name. His name is Jim. And Jim called me and said, I need you to come out and see me. He lived in Mississippi. He was up in his 50s, uh, late 50s. And I began to think about my associations with Jim. First time I met Jim was when I led a ski trip years ago. And he went on the ski trip. And, of course, as a part of the ski trip, we went to Colorado. Part of the, the ski trip, we had Bible studies at night. And we'd come in tired from skiing all day, but we had Bible studies. And Jim was there. And you could tell he was interested. But as I talked to him, I could tell he was not a believer. He, you could, he had the interest. He just wasn't there yet. He was single. But he told me he was divorced. And I noticed him the rest of the, the time on the ski trip. And, and he was kind of a play guy. He was kind of a playboy. But a good guy. A guy you'd like to, to know. Well, years passed. Um, several years passed. And he came to me again. And he says, I want you to meet this lady. I would, I would like you to marry us. And he went on to tell his story. He said, this is my ex-wife that I am remarrying. Well, of course, it blew me away. You know, he was remarried. He, neither, he or his wife, neither one had, had remarried. They'd just been divorced for years. And now God had brought them back together. And so I talked to him, and I, I shared the gospel with Jim. 
again. He'd heard it in the Bible study. Let's hear it again. Talk to his ex-wife, who's going to be his wife again. She knew Jesus. Obviously knew Jesus. It was exciting. And so I married them because I thought that was so wonderful, uh, that reconciliation. Years passed again. I guess we're talking about maybe seven, eight, nine years from the ski trip. And Jim called me to go out and see. So I drive over to Mississippi. He lived in Mississippi. Pulled up to his door and went in. And he met me just like cheerful and happy. And, and he took me right straight to the kitchen table. Where were there were four Bibles and eight or nine Christian books on the table. And he said, I'm dying telling me about Jesus. He had brain tumor. And it was the stage, whatever the stages you called, it was it was he was on his last weeks and months. Tell me about Jesus. Well, I went over and for the next hour went through the gospel with Jim. And he was smiling and you know, it was just like everything was clicking. That the other things had prepared him and and getting back with his wife and uh, all these things had prepared him and he was wide open. And, of course, you know, he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. And he, he was so happy. He was so pleased. Uh, he took the, the events of the latter parts of his life so well. I discipled him for, oh, I guess about six months. And then he began sharing his testimony in churches and telling others of, of what Christ had done in his life. And this was about the time that I was going to Cuba. And I told him about it. And he said, I want to pray for you. And he did. And when I got back from Cuba, uh, I went to him and told him what God had done. And he was elated. Then I went to Brazil, you know, in June last year. And same thing. We had a meeting. He was praying for me. Got my itinerary. Prayed for me the whole time. I got back. I had a phone call from his daughter. He said, you, you've got to get over it quick. And so I drove over to Jim's house. And uh, I went in. He, she, she said, the doctors say he should be dead. But for some reason, he just won't die. And we think he wants to talk to you. And he did. He wanted to find out what God had done in Brazil. And he was just barely hanging on. And so I went in to Jim, and his bed was right there in the living room, and hardly about that distance from the table where I shared with the gospel with him before. And he'd come in and out, and in and out, and in and out. And I tell him things that were happening and he came out one time he had blue eyes and he just smiled at me and he said Jeff it's near do my funeral I said okay Jim what do you want me to tell he got me up real close and he said tell him what you told me at the kitchen table don't change it tell him okay Jim about a day later, he died. He went to be with Jesus. And uh, I went to the funeral place. There was a funeral home. And it was a big crowd there. A lot of people knew Jim. He was a very friendly person. Over 200 people there. And I have never in my life had the freedom like I had that day to tell those about Jesus. And I just opened it up and did the things that you do at a funeral. I said, now I'm going to give you uh, the, the message for today. It comes from Jim, who told me to tell you this.
Now, I don't know, how, I don't know if anybody got, became a Christian that day or what's happened. I'm sure the seed was planted. But all of that because for some reason I happened to think that Jim had a lot of value. You see, people matter to God. The last point, if Jesus sees the potential in others, i got five minutes, I'll be through in five. Right, John? I'm always on time. If Jesus sees the potential in others, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. We should be looking for the potential in others, too. And that's one of the beauties of having the spiritual gift called leadership. Because those who have the spiritual gift of leadership, I think, can see potential in others. And they, get, they have the joy of saying, I think you can do this and do this well and kind of help plug them in. I think that's a wonderful gift. But we need to see what God could do in other people if the power of the Holy Spirit were released in them. And we've got to believe in them. We've got to believe in people. I have thought many times about Jim. What have I given up on him? My first two or three encounters with him weren't good. He was, he was doing things that I was very much against. What, did I, what have I given up? You know, we've got to realize that people will let you down. Christ never will. But you've got to, you've got to realize when you work with people, they'll let you down. Well, if you see the potential in people, then you've got to stay on mission. I think Chuck Colson has done a great job of staying on mission. You know who I'm talking about? Prison fellowship. 26 years he's been director of prison fellowship. 26 years. He's never lost his mission. He's stayed on mission. People are on his mind. Prisoners are the people, but they're people. People are on his mind. He's after people. He's been after people for 26 years. You know his story. You know where he came from. You know how God saved him. You know the last place he was at was Montgomery, Alabama. And he came out to do this great ministry for the last 26 years. You know that he's written 12 books and all the money have gone back into the prisons for prison ministry. Colson has stayed on mission. He stayed focused. People on his mind. Now, what's the story now? He's into 600 prisons in 88 countries. Uh, 150,000 inmates attend Bible studies through prison fellowship. 27,000 prisoners are connected to pen pals, and 50,000 men and women volunteer for prison fellowship. You been to a prison lately? What a place to go. I'm going back up with Kairos, which we have here in our church and in our city, back up to West Tennessee State prison in September for three or four days to, to be with. I've been, I've been in prison several times. I tell you, it's a bad place to be. You know, how would you like to watch Jerry Springer all day? That's what they do. They all got television sets. I've been in the cells. I took, at Christmas time, I took gifts into the cells. They got, the cells are, are real small. They got two sets right there, bang, bang, right in front of them. Watching Jerry Springer. That really challenges you, doesn't it? But things are happening because of Kairos and Chuck Colson and other people. Things are happening. And he's never lost focus. He's never lost mission. How about you and me? I'll share this story about Mr. Colson to close. And uh, he was asked, what, what does he think of when he thinks of those 26 years of ministry? 
And he says, the picture that comes in my mind is a picture of a, of a former prisoner in the Philippines. And uh, what had happened is, is prison fellowship administered to him. He had become a Christian. He had been discipled while in prison, and he got out. And one of the churches there in, in Manila had a program where they would, the church would sponsor him and individuals would hold him to accountability. And they would loan, they'd loan up to $120. They loaned this man $120 and he got in the pedicab business. That's where you have a bicycle and a little place in behind and you can ride it rather than taxis. And they taxi you around. He got in the pedicab business by his first one, I guess, about 120 maybe two. I don't know. But now he's got 35 He paid his money back. He was a member of the church. And Colson said his four-year-old daughter was there. And there was this Filipino guy. And he said the daughter was looking up, smiling, and had her arms around daddy's leg. And the man was looking down at her. And uh, he was smiling. And uh, he had Christ. He had a job. He had a family. He had a future. Colson said he looked at that picture. And he says, it's been worth it all. You see, the business he's in is redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. He goes after people. There's the challenge for you. And the challenge for me, too. You know, I am in the ministry. I should be doing it. But being in the ministry, I should challenge you to do the same thing. We ought to be in it together as teammates. And let's begin. It's going to take little steps. We're not going to be able to do it all at once, but let's begin to look at building a climate of evangelism at Gracie Van. You see, we don't know who God's going to save. We only know He said, go after them. Go after them. And I pray that you and I, you know, working together with Jimmy and other staff members and other people within the church, we can be known as a church that goes after people. Next Wednesday, we're going to, as we continue, we have three three weeks. I have three weeks. We're going to look at the power of clear communication next Wednesday. So if you've wondered about how to communicate it, come and, and listen. And we'll look at how you can clearly communicate this gospel that Jimmy says, and I agree with him 100%, is even better than we ever imagined it to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that people matter to you. We thank you, thank you that we matter to you and that you brought us out of the pit of and the slavery of bondage of sin and, and uh, Lord, saved us by your grace. Now, Lord, bring conviction to us that people would matter to us. Let me be specific, God. Work on me. Lord, build within, within me a compassion that will widen out my arms of love toward people. Uh, Lord, uh, destroy the cynicism that says somebody else will probably get them. Or they're not good enough. Or they shouldn't be included. God forgive me and others who have thought those thoughts or been involved in those type of thoughts before. And Lord, may we become a church that's radically inclusive. Lord, we pray that you would do that as we strive to please the Father's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a good night. Have a good week. Jimmy will be back in the pulpit Sunday. We'll see you all Sunday, if not before. <laughs>